Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the BritFlix.com podcast. Today I've got with me Mark Williams and his uh, his documentary film partner Darren Perry. We're going to do this in two parts. I'll be speaking to Mark first and then Darren. So, hello Mark. Hi Stuart, how you doing? I'm alright, I'm alright. After our little uh, excursion into Technophia. Yeah, it's always good fun, isn't it? Indeed, indeed. <laughs> uh, dear listener, I was trying to get them on both at the same time, but... But broadband, telephone, Skype, the lot wouldn't let me, so we have to speak to them separately. So, Mark, what are we? What what film have we come to talk about? Uh, well, it's my in my latest uh, and probably my first film ever is uh, called uh, VHS Forever, uh, Psychotronic People. Okay, and what's and what's the basic premise for this? Well, you know, it's, it's sort of looking at the uh, you know the uh, golden age of VHS, if you like, you know, back to uh, sort of the eighties and nineties, and uh, you know, getting out there and speaking to all the collectors, and also uh, a lot of guys behind the scenes too, you know, like uh, you know, works in the industry and things like that. Plus, a lot of celebrities, you know, we've got like people like Kim Newman on board and. Uh, Graham Humphreys and uh, Lloyd Kaufman of Katroma Films. So, what 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 compelled you to do this? Well, it just uh, you know, it sort of you know, by chance, I met up with Darren. You know, I sort of known him for years, but we we got chatted over a beer. Uh, you know, I think it was sort of the last sort of October of last year, and um, we said, well, let's you know, we had a few ideas, and oh, let's let's go and do a movie, and that's how it started, and. Uh, we sort of started, then we started shooting from January, mm. sort of three months later, if you like, really, and uh, we sort of progressed from there, really, you know. Now, now finally, this, finished, finally finishing uh, last week. Now, if this is your first film, how did how did you go from zero film to let's make a movie with your conversation with Darren? Well, we're both ex-film uh, um, industry guys. I mean, I used to work for um, Paramount UK for many years, uh, and Darren sort of worked for a lot of sort of independent producers as well and things, lots yeah. of other different productions. So we had that sort of common bond, if you like, there, really. Okay. And we were both, both sort of keen to get back into the, uh, get back into the industry, you know, be at the back door, if you like. Indeed, indeed. So, so what... What's been the what would you say has been the story that's emerged from your um, 
you'll look. Well, in fact, let's let's, let's rewind a second. So the the doc it's, it's a documentary, and it's looking into VHS collecting, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah and it's and it's, is it looking at it as in what it was like in the day, or is it going? We're in 2014, and there are still people collecting them, and why? Well, we, we, we're probably going back to a lot of the old school collectors, so we're probably, we've got more stories and, you know, going back to, you know, what happened on the day, you know, and obviously all the associated, uh, you know, raids and things like that that went on at the time at various movie fairs and, uh, you know, you know, guys that were there, were there originally really there, you know, so they've all got some great, uh, great tales to spin, you know, to us, which is great. Now, I'm probably actually thinking about it now. I probably should qualify. This isn't just about VHS, is it? This is about horror VHS, and presumably in particular those. Yeah, that... yeah. We, I mean, we're trying to be. A, we, we, we've got a few sort of excursions on there, really, but we try to be, you know, keep to the horror genre, really. You know, I mean, um, you know, because it sort of it keeps a more sort of common thread, really, on there. You know, but I think there's you know various mainstream films discussed as well. You know, so it's, uh, well, you know, it's quite a sort of. Uh, Mixed bag, really, if you like. Well, I mean, the reason I was just, the, the reason to differentiate is because obviously the collectability of VHS post nineteen eighty four video recording act for certain films became sort of the the idea of collecting pre certified, wasn't it? That was that's it, yeah, yeah, certainly something. So, um, out of interest, then, what was what is the collectability of of VHS that wasn't this idea of pre and post video recording act? Well, it's you know it's it's another, it's funny you know all of a sudden in the past sort of two years VHS has become really collectible and I think people like to go back to their and I don't want to start this really answer question here but people are going back to their some of their favourite movies and saying oh yeah I'd love to have that on uh, a VHS copy of that you know which is fantastic. What people would rather have it over a Blu-ray. Yeah, believe it. Or not, I can't believe it. And it, it's, uh, you know, people seem to be taking. I suppose it's a little bit like vinyl, really, isn't it? You know, because people seem to prefer vinyl for, to the digital sound. You know, I don't know what it is. Well, but, with, with especially vinyl. the physical design of it or the LP. You know, but um, it, you know, it's hard to tell, really, isn't it? But people prefer it, I think. You know, and they love the physical opening the box up. You got your tape in there. You know, and. Uh, even though it's lo-fi, you know, the quality's not as great, you know, of course, as a, as a Blu-ray or, you know. Many times less picture quality, really. That's what I was going to say. I mean, you're, you're not talking about a kind of purist analogue versus digital because, obviously, with a vinyl, if you invest in the right equipment, you'll get a wonderful, earthy sound that isn't course, easily yeah. replicated by a CD or any other kind of medium that's digital. Whereas... If you've got a high-end 35mm film print that's been transferred to VHS and you transfer the same print to a Blu-ray, then your experience, theoretically, I suppose, I mean, I'm sure in practice it's true, is going to be much better. Of course, yeah, yeah. What did you find out from the people you spoke to? Well, they've just got this love of the old, you know, they're still, uh, you know, first thing I found out, really, that yeah. they're still watching them, you know, they've still got the old cassettes from back in the day. You know, it could be thirty odd years ago. You know, and they've still got these, uh, you know, these these sort of prized cassettes they've got. You know, it's fantastic, and they prefer what you knows to a Blu-ray copy. So you know, it's it's great, isn't it? Really, I think it's just it's like having the physical thing, isn't it? It's just a, I suppose, a thing of beauty if you like to a collector. You've got that lovely box, big box, big clamshell box there. You got your tape inside, and. Uh, 
yeah, no, yeah, it's, it must be that type of thing. It's supposed like opening an LP again. You know, you've got a nice gatefold LP with the artwork and, you know, double record sleeve in there and things like that. You know, it looks great, doesn't it, I suppose, you know. What were some of the films that, that, that rose to the surface, as it were, in the conversations with people that, that appear to be, like, the collectors collectible, as it were? What is what is it? That, what are the titles people are looking for on VHS? Yeah, I mean, I suppose, you know, you got you go back to the old sort of nasties, you know, the I think it's the DPP 39 or something. I think, yeah. you know, the 39 most prosecuted films people tend to collect still. And, yeah. uh, you know, and they've got their favourites, haven't they? I mean, like one of our guys, he mentions um, The Bell of Hell, so one of his favourite films. You know, it's a, a pretty obscure sort of Spanish film from the 70s. Yeah. But, you know, he'd much prefer to watch that. And I, I believe it's a longer print as well, so that's... Makes it more collectible, doesn't it? I think you know, there's a couple more seconds in it, and even the DVD release is not as long as that version. So it's, uh, you know, it's got that little, you know, that little bit of sort of collectability factor about it, which is great. So this is this is about is this about people who are what collectors in the completest sense? Then it's not necessarily. Well, probably, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, but they they their favourite films, I think, you know, you know, but it, you know, it's we sort we sort of pretty general, really. I mean, you know, again, we've got people going, you know. Talking about stuff in the collection, uh, you know, around sort of various uh, London locations, you know, and then we've got you know people like Kim Newman on board and uh, Graham Humphreys talking about you know some of the stuff they did there, you know, which was well, great. For those you people know, people that might not know, do you want to explain? Well, sort of give give some context. So Kim Newman is who? Kim Kim Newman's the uh, author and film critic. I think I believe he still he writes for Empire, doesn't he? he? Does you know, indeed, and. Yeah. Uh, he does the uh, Anno Dracula series. Pretty, pretty, pretty well known, I think, in London circles. Indeed he is, indeed he is. Yeah. Uh, and, and Graham Humphreys is? Graham Humphreys is an artist, you know. He's just, he's been around for years, you know. He's, uh, and he was the guy that, you know, designed the original uh, Evil Dead poster. Okay, okay. Uh, so he's had this sort of working uh, relationship with um, Palace Pictures, I suppose, until her demise, you know, which was... Um, you know, quite a few years ago now, I suppose, really, you know, but he designed some fantastic stuff, you know, Creepers and Nightmare on Elm Street too, you know, and things like that, you know, really stunning stuff. What? And he'll go about and tell you, it's quite interesting as well, he'll go about and tell you how, you know, censorship at the time, they were even censoring film posters, so, you know, for instance, have to, you know, there's too much blood on a, on Freddy's fingers, you know, his finger blades, so they'd have to take the blood down and... Uh, there's a famous bit of Creepers as well. I think there's a chimpanzee of a razor blade, That's believe it or not. You know, they had to take the blood off that, you know. I won't go into, I won't go into a lot of detail about that. You've seen the film, but, uh, you know, pretty bizarre image, I think, really, on there, you know. But it, it's, you know, it wasn't just the films that were being censored. You know, it was actually, you know, you know, your artwork too, which is crazy. So what, I mean, just just to give us a little bit of an insight and give us, what, give us a couple of your... Your favourite kind of VHS memories that you captured with? Oh yeah, there, there's there's loads in here. You know, that's a good thing. So, there's so many sort of you know, good good sort of stories there, really. And we got you know we're lucky enough to get Lloyd uh, Kaufman of Troma Incorporated Pictures. Yeah, uh, who's based in New York, involved in a project. So he he does some fantastic stuff for us. You know, and probably he talks about you know sort of the old um, the start of the video industry days. You know. Um, with sort of various companies that were involved with there, and also, 
you know, probably gives a little bit of a stake of the state of the nation, really, now, you know, about low budget filmmaking and uh, the situation these days as well, you know. So it's quite sort of up to date from that, you know, that respect, really, you know. And what it sort of give, it gives, a, gives a picture a little bit more um, sort of depth, really, you know. And what was one of your favourites that you, I mean, as in like. Oh, well, well yeah, yeah, going back to Chat, back to Chamber, I mean, and it's. It's a film that Lloyd talks about. One of my favourites, probably going back to back in the day, is uh, Toxic Avenger. Right. It was about 1984. Okay. Which got cut by, I think it was cut by over, you know, 15, 20 minutes here. I think Lloyd mentions it was cut by 20 minutes. Wow. Believe it or not. Uh, you know, totally butchered here. So you'd, you'd have to sort out, you know, back in the day, you'd have to try and source a, uh, a Dutch copy, you know, with Dutch subtitles, hard-coded Dutch subtitles in, and uh, but that would be the complete uncut version, you know. Mm. Now, now but, you, you, you spoke to Mark Morris on the film, didn't you? Yes, yeah, who's, that's it, yeah. Yeah, had a good afternoon with Mark, uh, yeah. Who's one of the, uh, the other half of um, the Video Nasties yeah, Jake, Jake West, his partner. What, what what stories did he tell you then about the uh, the, the VHS running between the continent and the UK? What, what oh yeah, well, yeah, we got we got that story. I'm not quite sure because I think you know it's been told quite a few times, isn't it? You know, yeah. this is this particular story. So oh yeah, you know, he told us he shot quite a bit of him. You know, unfortunately, you know, we couldn't try, at the moment. We're trying to edit the film down from I think we're 201 minutes at the moment. Wow, is it? So we've got to get another 21 minutes out, really, to get it about, I think about 100 minutes, I think, you know, it'd be nice, um, sort of comfortable running time, really, you know, so we've, uh, we've only got a sort of week or so to the premiere on next Saturday, believe it or not, so on the 20th of September. Let's, let's, let's make sure we get this on, on the podcast, so when, when can people see VHS Forever? Well, we've got the premiere uh, next Saturday, uh, which is the Saturday the 20th, awesome. at the, uh, yeah, the Genesis Cinema, and what time? on the Mile End Road. What time's it showing? It's uh, around 9 p.m. Okay. And it's showing, I mean, you can go, if you go to scalarama.com, yeah. you can, it's showing as part of the, uh, the good, the bad, the unseen, slash Scalarama, but VHS all day. Do you want me to say that again? Yeah, please do, go on. Yeah, it's the, uh, <clears throat> the good, the bad, and the unseen, slash Scalarama, VHS all day. And that's on Saturday the 20th? Saturday the 20th, yeah. We've been a bit of, we're top of the bill as well. Brilliant. But I believe, uh, you know, Colin Adam and Doc Foxen are showing sort of VHS movies all day. Mm. Uh, stuff like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, Alligator, you know. a good. I mean, even Puma Man, that was another good one, I think, from the, uh, from the early 80s or mid-80s. What, I mean, given, given you've come from a film background, and obviously a documentary is, is about discovery, what was your... What was the the strangest thing you discovered through the process of doing this documentary on the subject? You probably going into it probably thought you knew quite a bit, but was was there any surprises? Uh, you know, really, the, the you know the devotion to, to VHS, Stuart. That's that's the thing that I've really you know because you know it's sort of over the years it's been portrayed as you know very disposable, isn't it? People just yeah. chucked them out there, you know, and. Nobody wants to know, you know, but it, it's becoming a sort of rare commodity now. Mm. But it's people's devotion, and they've still got that tape. You know, they went to a shop in 1979, 1980, mm. bought a copy of Zombie Flesh Eaters for, you know, down Tottenham Court Road, uh, and they've still got that copy there, which is fantastic, I think. You know, that real um, sort of die-hard devotion, really, there. And they still watch them, which is fantastic, you know, so it's... Uh, you is know, and people a... ask me, why, why, hasn't, why hasn't anybody done this before? You know, I know it's been done by um, 
a lot of American companies, you know, like, um, you know, sort of, or American films, I should say, like uh, Rewind This and things like that. But mm. people said to me, look, why, why hasn't it been done from a British point of view, really, you know, with regard to the real sort of collector scene on there, you know. Well, what, so ho- it... hopefully we'll, we'll live up to that one there, you know. What What is, I mean, I can understand the DPP list being collectible, but I don't, I don't understand how... Other films. I mean, I guess, I guess what you're saying is there are different cuts that aren't available anymore that were only in the original VHS. Yeah, that would be one one aspect. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to give us? I mean, do you want to give us a non-horror title which is particularly sort of cherished by the collectors? Yeah, non non-horror. No, it's quite difficult because really, I mean, most of the film touches on the horror genre really on there. You know, something for non. I think actually, I think I don't know if it's going to be in the final cut. But I think somebody mentions uh, a film. I think about 1978, 70, no, 1977 even called uh, Looking for Mrs. Uh, sort of Looking for Mr. Goodbar. Okay. Which was a sort of a mainstream, uh, you know, Diane Keaton movie. You know, with yeah. quite. I think they had quite a sort of twisted ending on there, really. You know, yeah. so. I don't know whether you know that's that's particularly collectible at the moment. I think you find anything on the um, on the CIC label. They used to when I think they were one of the first companies to put out VHS. Mm. They used to have these lovely sort of um, card slip cases. Okay. I think if you're lucky enough these days to get one of these lovely cassettes in this intact, I think they call it the slip case, then you you know you've got a real uh, collector's piece there. Uh, you know. Now we're now we're men of a certain vintage. Um, Certainly. Our um. Are there collectors of this stuff that aren't people that would have experienced it first time round? That- yeah, well, that's it. You know, I mean, uh, one of my friends is uh, a comedian, uh, an actor, I should say, uh, James Mullinger. Don't have heard of him at all, but uh, he's, you know, a lot younger than me, and uh, he's, he's still collecting VHS to this day. He loves, he'll collect everything, you know, and he wasn't there back in the day. Right. Uh, but he's, oh, he's got a real passion for VHS, and he appears in a documentary. You know, uh, and tell you know, tell us about his his collection. He's always looking for stuff on there. You know, it's uh, it's fantastic, isn't it? Really, the, so if, the, new, the new breed of collector, if you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, if, if if things are so collectible and there is that demand, what I mean, what would I pay for? You know, a priest certification, cannibal holocaust, or uh, or a priest certification. Zombie flesh eaters, say. Well, you know, it's, it, I suppose it's hard to tell, really. I mean, it's it depends on the condition. You know, I suppose you look at the, you know, sort of how the cover's kept and how how the tape is and things like that. I, I suppose I don't ain't paying anything up to a hundred pounds. I think these days, you really? know, you might have a bargain. You know, I'm not quite sure. You know, it all depends. I think you know, um, you know, it can go cheaper. I think you know, but yeah, hundred quid. I think back in the day, you paid. £30 new, I should think, you'd pay if you went down to Tottenham Court Road. Now, That's not, took, not a bad investment. It took you eight months to pull this together so far, hasn't it? Certainly has, yeah. Yeah, and I, I believe you originally tried to shoot it on VHS, so do you want to tell us the story of what happened there? Oh, we did, yeah. We had a couple of uh, you know, vintage uh, Panasonic uh, M7 uh, you know, video recorders originally, and uh, unfortunately, uh, we stopped. I think we did a couple of uh, shoots with these, but unfortunately, they developed this uh, the same fault with something to do with the lens on the camera. Now, I'd probably give you a bit more sort of technical uh, insight into this okay. one, really, being, being the cameraman there, you know. But um, yeah, I mean, his dad was uh, luckily he was a bit of a video engineer in the day, so he's had them all apart, but. Unfortunately, I think they reached reached a time in their life, you know, when you know it was time to uh, time to make you know make the uh, great uh, camera graveyard, graveyard, if you like. There. 
<laughs> so that was unfortunate. So we, I thought we had to sort of go out and uh, get a get a very cheap digital camera. Because yeah. uh, the thing I'd like to explain as well, this it's no sort of big HDDP production. I wanted it to look like something you'd probably get. Some was shot on video back in 1983. So you've got that. We've got hopefully we've got, we'll achieve that really rough look on it. You know, you've got that fuzzy look. It's going to have you know probably a little bit cliche. We've got a little bit of tape wear on there and yeah, yeah, yeah. Get you, you know sort of grindhouse style to get you in the mood if you like on there. You know, but the concept is that yeah, you know, you put a cassette in, it's going to be like. You know, you'll be looking at something from sort of 83, 84 on there, you know. And I think, I just want to invoke the atmosphere, really. That's what's the uh, sort of key thing for me, if you like, on there. And and are you are you a collector yourself? Well, I, I sort of dabble, you know. I mean, if I see something I like, you know, I think I picked up the other day, I think they picked up the Warriors or something like that for 20p, I think, in the charity shop. So, uh, you know, yeah, I thought, great. You know, the original cut as well, not that horrible uh, director's cut they put out. You know, it was dreadful, wasn't it, I think? I don't know if you saw that at all. With but, the comic uh, strip thing. Awful, wasn't it? Really, yeah, really yeah, terrible, yeah, you know. Uh, yeah, it's awful. So, you know, I think you just, you know, put these different animated sequences and things like that, you know, comic strip sequences. But, you know, you can go back to the original and watch it all in all its sort of full frame, 4.3 uh, VHS glory, if you like, you know. OK, OK. Well, look, well, um, the, uh, the VHS Forever is going to be showing at the Genesis Cinema Mile End, and that's the 20th of September. It's part of a, a whole day of VHS, and VHS Forever is going to be a sort of a headline show at 9 o'clock that evening. So... If you want to see it, they can check it out there. If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. Well, one of the key questions in the documentary we say, the people, we say to everybody we interview, you know, what's a psychotronic film? What's your definition? And, it, and it's really interesting. Nobody's really got the same answer on there, you know, which is... Uh, which is quite interesting. What would you say has been the sort of main challenge for you pulling this together? Well, the main challenge has been really shooting on obviously different formats because it's, it's a night in post production. It's absolutely nightmare because you know you shoot with the same camera and the same format. You you sort of keep the sound levels the same, don't you, and things like yeah. that, and all the shots and everything's got a different. So it makes the film interesting because it's everything's got. Sort of different sort of texture and look to it really on there. So it looks really rough. I mean, it's great. It's got that that roughness that you had back in the day, which we're looking for really on there, you know. And and we had a, had a zero budget to do it with as well, you know. So it's uh, it's absolutely you know it's absolutely fantastic though, really. Congratulations. Uh, you know, hopefully, if people get it, I'll be I'll be delighted, you know. Really, you know. Well, look, congratulations on getting this far. And. Now for the second part of the podcast, I welcome Darren Perry. Hello, Darren. Hello to you, Stuart. Um, now, Mark talk, talked a lot about a lot of things, um, and one of the things he told me off off uh, microphone to ask you was uh, this uh, sort of. He said there was a funny story attached to when you spoke to Lloyd Kaufman. Yeah, well, they, Lloyd um, uh, uh, volunteered to 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 do this for. Which yeah. is very, very good of him. Very pleased to get someone like Lloyd Kaufman on 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 this uh, documentary, mm-hmm. and he had uh, quite some good, funny uh, stories there, particularly about uh, Mary Blowjob. Okay. He, cool. he, he referenced <laughs> he referenced Mary Whitehouse as Mary Blowjob, which I think I'm sure will get a laugh <laughs> in the documentary. Um, 
And uh, yeah, I mean, really, that's kind of what this documentary uh, is all about because it's it's from an era that's sort of kind of passed by now, really. Yeah. And um, it's you know, people like Mary Whitehouse was responsible for uh, the moral guidance apparently in this country and uh, kind of really just uh, making it a really hard time for us film fans, people who love movies, uh, we couldn't see them. And, and what do you think it is, you know, given the internet and DVD and Blu-rays you can get your hands on now, what is it you think that keeps people going back to the VHS? It's a good question, Stuart. I, I think what it is, is it's mainly it's economics. I think the reason is purely economics. Um, a lot of the films, a lot of the independent, obscure films that we're discussing in this documentary is psychotronic, mm. uh, that we call or refer to as psychotronic, yeah. um, are uh, so obscure that the DVD companies and the companies that put DVDs out mm. are obviously aware that some of them just don't have a marketplace. So they remain forever in vaults and never seen. And, uh, but at one point, when the VHS boom hit here particularly hard in the UK, mm. it was such a massive boom that titles were coming out that I'm sure the video companies never cleared copyright on. Yeah. Uh, and there were such obscure films, films from, I don't know, the Philippines or something. Uh, and I just don't think that, uh, you know, companies wouldn't put those films out today. So that, you know, they remain on VHS, so people can see them on VHS. But, they, you know, they were released in the UK on VHS. What, what were some of these titles, then, that, you, that you've come across making a documentary? There's just been so many obscure films. Uh, one guy on there uh, mentions a film called Geek, which was a 1980s slasher film from yes. the States, which was, uh, you know, in a similar vein to films like The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which was a, was a much more known title. Yeah. Um, but yeah, film, films for, you know, films like Metal Storm, uh, films like the uh, Italian films, obscure films, that yeah. really have not seen the light of day. Uh, and they have, some of these have been put out on DVD. Now, you, you, you were, uh, were you, were you wielding the camera for the, uh, for this production? Is that right? Well, what happened was through a mutual friend of ours, he said that uh, they were looking for a cameraman, mm. and uh, I'd already been working in the film industry as a runner and as an assistant director, and also as a film projectionist. For four years, I've been a film projectionist at uh, Riverside Studios. Okay. I also went on to... Uh, uh, work for the London Film School as a film projectionist and um, uh, the, the opportunity came up and they wanted somebody to do the camera work on it and also to edit it. Okay, and, and you, you the, the, the initial attempt wasn't it was to, uh, was to shoot on VHS but you came up against technical problems yeah, the, with Yeah, the initial idea was to shoot it all on VHS because it's called VHS Forever. Of course. Uh, psychotronic People is our subtitle to it, and um, yeah, the initial idea was to shoot it on, on VHS, uh, which we feel is very appropriate to the subject. Uh, unfortunately, our Panasonic M7 camera, which was at, back in the day in the 80s, in 1987, that was a highly regarded VHS camera. I think mm. it, you know, it cost about £1,200. Wow. But due to the age of the beast, 
like all cameras from the 1980s in television companies and everything, they, they break down. And it just so happened that when we went to go and use it, it started to break down. And, um, you know, so that's, that's one of the things. And, and then we went on to using Hi8, a Hi8 camera. Okay. Um, and you've got a guy called Chris Otter did the score for the, for, for the, for the, for the film, yeah? What do you think, what does that lend to the production? I think Chris um, is, a, is a great music guy. He, he, I don't know a lot about him, but he certainly loves the Italian uh, music scores. That's certainly very, uh, uh, you can hear all that in his, in his music. He's certainly inspired by the likes of people like yeah. Goblin. Yeah. And he has a very old school flavour sound to his music, and uh, I think it lends a, you know, there's a you know small amount of music in there because obviously it's a documentary. Yeah. But uh, what there is, I think it lends lends a lot to it. What was um, what was your favourite uh, sort of revelation? I mean, you know, obviously you go into a production, go into a documentary like this with with all kinds of preconceptions and your own understanding of the world, but. What surprises did you find from the people you interviewed that, that you know you weren't expecting about VHS collecting? Uh, surprises. Well, one of the things that I got out of doing this was um, the fact that interviewing all these different people. Mm. I suppose the main thing surprises was that there was an interest still there. That's <laughs> the biggest surprise of all. Yeah. I mean, the fact that we've lived through laser discs, DVDs, and now Blu-ray. Yeah. And then people are still interested in VHS. I mean, I go back to the days when getting VHS, that's part of the reason why I wanted to do this documentary, was yeah. that to get to see these films, as I've said before, was VHS was the only way to get to see them. Yeah. There was no such thing as laser discs and DVDs and the internet. Yeah. So you had to go to Tony's Psychotronic Shop in Camden, <laughs> uh, which, is featured in the, which is featured in our film. So that was the only way you could see these films. But, uh, so I'm, I'm really quite shocked to be perfectly honest with you, Stuart, I am shocked that people still collect and have such an enthusiasm for VHS. I mean, we've got some graphic designers, some illustrators on there mm. that, that uh, absolutely love the artwork that was produced on, on VHS. So, you know, obviously they're looking at it from a different perspective possibly to me. They, they're looking at it from an artwork point of view. Uh, as well, the film may not be any good, but the box was great. <laughs> um, but <laughs> you know, so yeah, I mean, it's amazing to me, really. And the other thing that I enjoyed very much, and, and uh, was a learning process, was that um, it's a real truism that you should never ask anybody to do a second take. In fact, Kim Newman was uh, a particular interviewer who stated this to me very vehemently yeah. before doing the interview. Uh, said that uh, I don't do second takes, but what I found, and he had a right to say, and he's, he's absolutely right, because what I found doing this, Stuart, was that all the interviewers, um, in all cases, I would say, you know, 99% of cases, the takes that we used were the first take. So if you start, if you like me now, if you get someone to do the story again, or say something off the top of their head again, to try and edit it or consolidate it, it, uh, it doesn't work. It, it's never as fluent as the first time they say it off the top of their heads, and that's something I learned from doing this. One of the things that, that, that Mark told me, he'd been, uh, the Perry had been talking about what recommendation to make in terms of 
British film, and I believe it is a Jack Palance film or something that you've. Yeah, the film is called Craze. Uh, okay. It's 1974. It's very obscure. It's 40 years old now. It is. And indeed. it was Harvard Productions, and it was uh, a Herman Cohen pr uh, production. And it starred Jack Palance. In fact, the, the cast is quite amazing. Um, Jack Palance, Dinah Jaws, Julie Edge, Edith Evans, Trevor Howard, Martin Potter, David Warbeck. Uh, they're all in it. And um, it's great. It's uh, totally obscure, totally forgotten. And it was originally uh, as a pre-certificate video. So the only way you could see it post its screening in the yeah. 70s was through a company called Video Film Organisation, if I remember. Okay. And subsequently, there has been DVDs, although I don't think there's been any official uh, British release as yet. Yeah. Uh, the DVD I have now is, an, is a European release DVD, and it's very nice. I have to say they've done a great job on the, the quality master they've used. The film was shot in Technicolor. Yeah. And uh, it was based on a novel called The Infernal Idol, um, directed by Freddie Francis, who's quite a prolific cameraman and director. Yeah. And uh, it was all shot at Shefton, totally British film. Yeah. And it's great for that reason as well, to look back, you know, look at the, the London locations and the... Um, they used uh, the, the local Shepperton pub, I think, as well, a lot in it as well. Mm. Um, but it's a great film. Jack Palance is just completely maniacal in it. He plays a character called Neil Mottram, yeah. and he's an antiques dealer. And uh, obviously, he's somehow he's acquired this African idol, yeah. this god, which he refers to as Chuku. Yeah. And uh, that's it's his god, and um, proceeds maniacally to uh, think that... Uh, you know, by worshipping this idol, his uh, his antique business is going to going to get better and things will get better for him. But uh, they obviously don't. But it's it's a great little film that's that's very much of its time, very much a psychotronic film. No, it's no, the no. Kind I of, mean, it's, it's, it's the it, kind of film that will not get made today. Indeed, exactly. indeed, and it's it's the kind of film that it's the reason why I asked the question because it's. Uh, I like I like for us to at least to try and unearth these things that, that that clearly are part of the British film industry's history. Yeah, but there was a lot of technical people. The technical people on it were a very. I mean, John Wilcox. I've just looked up. Yeah. British Society of Cinematographers. Mm. As I said, it's a Technicolor film. Yeah. It looks absolutely gorgeous on screen, and uh, he he shot films like Doctor and the Daleks, The Skull, Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires. Wow. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's a uh, lost. It's and, and I also have to mention John Scott, the music composer John Scott, very undervalued John Scott, who, whose score it, it needs a release. So if any um, LP or DVD, um, sorry, CD companies are, are listening, John Scott's music for Craze is, is really good. Um, when you get to see Craze, if you was to imagine it without the music, it really wouldn't be the same film. Well, okay. Well, no, that's uh, that's that's, that's uh, I'd never I'd never heard of the film. Never mind, not seen it. So, uh, thank you, for that. <laughs> thank you for that recommendation. Um, yeah. Now, the, you, you say like the, the subtitle of the film, the, the sub the subheading of the film is psychotronic people. Do you think that? Do you think you could define what you think now is as it, are psychotronic people? No. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, I mean, again, that is another interesting thing. Everybody had a different take yeah. on what they thought a psychotronic film was. Yeah. And that, again, was another revelation. Um, you know, you could just say it was Michael J. Weldon's book, which he published about obscure, independent, low-budget films. Yeah. But everybody had a really interesting answer to what a psychotronic film was. Did, uh, did, did Tony get to answer that question, Nazi, on the, on the, on the documentary? No, he didn't, actually. It was funny. You know, we, due to the nature of making a documentary, sometimes you, you, you didn't always stick to the script of, of <laughs> necessarily asking the same questions, but we threw them in now and again, and we did get an amazing response of answers, which occurs as a montage at the beginning of our film. OK. Well, maybe there's a chance, because from what I understand from Mark, you've got Tony there. Tony's going to be there for the uh, the premiere, isn't he, at the Scalarama show? Yeah, that's, right. yeah, that's right, yeah. So maybe you can save that question for him while, when you present the film. Yeah, maybe he could tell us what a psychotronic film was. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, Darren, I'm, I'm, apologies for the technical difficulties, but I think we, we, no we've got you down on, on tape now for the podcast, so I thank you very much for your time and your patience. After the premiere, are you are you releasing it on DVD or through iTunes or what? No, we're gonna we're going out a sort of roadshow really because I think the next day after this one is the um, Festival of Fantastic Films in Manchester. Okay, back on your home turf there, if you like there, you know. But we're showing it, I think, on the first of November, I believe, you know. Okay. So you know, it'll give a you know an audience a chance to see it there and. Um, we're going to basically roadshow, you know, take it out of the roadshow, do a bit of Q and A, uh, and you know, and tell people how we did it and that, you know. And how many, how many, other, how many other dates have you got confirmed? Well, just just that one at the moment, but we're hoping to do Duke uh, Mitchell Film Club as well. Okay. Uh, hopefully this year, and a couple of other screenings around the country as well. So I'm going to, you know, if anybody wants to see it, then, you know, I'm quite happy to take it out on the road. And I don't I don't want to just put it out to, chuck it out to, to DVD or video at all. Mm. Uh, we'll do that eventually, but what I would like to do is take it out and try and get people, try and explain the concept of it. And how can, how can people keep uh, up to date with where well, it's showing? Mainly, I'm going to do, put it. I'm a bit lazy. I should have done a website by now. I'm going to do a website, you know, obviously in the next few weeks. Is there a Twitter I'm, account? I've also got a Facebook group as well. Is there a Twitter account or anything people can follow? Uh, yeah, we're on Twitter as well. Yeah, yeah. So what's yeah, the Twitter look address? For Mr. Mark underscore Williams. Okay, well I'll make sure, I'll put that I'll put that de- those details in the Facebook. Yeah, group yeah. You know, it's it's just fun. The whole thing's just brilliant, really. You know, and I hope if people get the concept. Then I'm I hope sure. they are expecting sort of a full, you know, big budget HD production. You know, it's it's just cost, cost peanuts to do, but they've just, you know, so many good doors have opened for us, really. On well, there, with the documentaries <laughs> like this, it's 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 more the tales, isn't it? And 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 and, yeah, and you know, people like Colin Stone and that is just brilliant. I mean, you know, they're quite candid. You know, some of them, you know, some of the language a bit bit saucy on there, but you know, I'm not I'm not into censorship at all. So you know, I like to give people. I said, just be yourself. <laughs> It's the 
Hey, y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.